This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Welcome, Talk Catholic, the website.com, your host, Tim Kilcoyne. No agendas here, just the straight and narrow, through Mary to Jesus, the Catholic faith proclaimed and preserved. Hope to see you here every week. Catholic.com with Tim Kilcoin. Happy Feast of the Immaculate Heart of Mary and a salute to the late great Brother Alphonsus Maria, Mary's lifelong slave. And I hope you enjoyed yesterday's wonderful Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And I'm thinking of Mother Mary Angelica as I'm doing this tonight. As she used to say, let's talk about Jesus. And I think she would be right with me as I now say, and let's talk about the devil as well. Because unless we know what he's all about, we won't know what our Lord stands for. We'll be continuing on with Father William Casey's book, You Shall Stand Firm, Relative to Marriage, later in the show. But I came across something most prophetic from 1965. Oh, what a cataclysmic year that was, right around the end of Vatican II. This is very much the year of the revolution, the sexual revolution. And many believe that something terribly diabolical might have taken place back at Vatican II for there to have been such a tumultuous polarization of traditional versus not in the church from that time very much onward. And there was a commentator, well-known, named Paul Harvey. And Paul Harvey wrote an article called, If I Were the Devil. I would like to recite this absolutely to the letter and make a few comments along the way. It is frightening because it is absolutely spot on. Let us begin from the website alabamagazette.com. If I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd engulf the whole world in darkness, and I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population. But I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree. The, as in you. So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. Quick comment. Those whispers would have been amongst the Catholic hierarchy. Notice how he goes after the church first, because the church is the moral voice of Christ to the world. The wall against evil. So you have to go after the standard bearers within the church. And that constitutes the pope, the bishops, the priests, the theologians. He goes on. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve. Do as you please. Okay, there's the first paragraph, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm, I'm just thinking of, again, a radical shift intellectually within theology, 1965 onward, towards what we call in moral theology situation ethics, as opposed to principle-oriented ethics. The whole movement within theological circles was to get psychologized and look more at the intention and circumstances of an act as opposed to the principle undergirding the action. Was it violated or not? So in other words, there was now a new salute to the subjective experience of the individual. And now the question becomes, 
What was the good and the evil that you did? Which, by the way, is a quote right out of our Holy Father's writings not too long ago. As opposed to, what principle of truth did you violate? Can you see the difference, ladies and gentlemen? It's subtle, exactly how the serpent behaves, especially in academic theological circles. Trying to get the theologians themselves, the uh, religious educators, to now teach that you are becoming the arbiter of the morality of an action. Because you are now the arbiter of truth. You're going to decide what truth is. That there's not this objective standard of truth outside of you that cuts across all ages, but rather we need to listen to your experience. This was absolutely the heart of public school philosophy relative to John Dewey. He was very much a founding father of the whole American educational public school experience, and that is the key word. Experience is now more important than knowing the truth of things. This is the devil at work. He goes on, To the young I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. I hope the wokesters are listening right now. Good is evil and evil is good. Everything is upside down. What's the meaning of marriage? What restroom do I go into? And the old I would teach to pray after me, our father which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. Let's just pause there. So in other words, we're going to go and listen more to the politicians than the truth tellers. And they're out of Washington, as we know. And then, and how about the lurid literature, which starts, how about with the tabloids that are at the grocery store for how many decades now and nobody said a word? Unbelievable. This is a subtle takeover over a long time. He's going to try to numb the population as a whole starting with the elites who decide everything. Are we listening carefully to the absolute flood of fentanyl into our country and the whole uh, border crisis with the cartels now pretty much doing as they please? I do believe we lost 100,000 people last year to fentanyl alone. Not to forget the other drugs and alcohol, the substance abuse, addictions that have absolutely overtaken most families. The inhaling of pornography equal to the substance abuse? This is exactly how you take a whole country over. Paul Harvey goes on. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, as they now argue over the nature of marriage, male versus female. Churches at war with themselves. All you have to do is walk into any two rectories and see if you get the same response to any number of moral issues. And then he says, and nations at war with themselves, until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I had a mesmerizing media fanning the flames. We know who that is. <laughs> is. Does this sound familiar, ladies and gentlemen? If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions. Just let those run wild until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. I'm remembering my time 
at a couple of different prep schools, East and West Coast, serving as a chaperone at high school dances and having to tell the DJ, knock it off, put on some civilized music, or the whole thing will come to a screeching halt. It was the absolute trash music of the 1990s, and uh, it was evil then as it is evil now, because it's not music, it is noise. That's called regression of human nature. He says, within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon I would evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. I'm reminded of Judge Robert Bork, who wrote a scathing book called Slouching Toward Gomorrah, where he made it very clear that the slide, the slippery slope towards this kind of no morality, would be ushered in by the judges, by the courts, judicial activists, individuals, not whole populations of people crying for something, select intellectual squeaky wheels. He goes on, and in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I don't think we have to make much mention of the WHO or CDC and their new powers over our lives over the last three years. He says, I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls. No more need be said about the breaking of the scandals in 2002. Onward, Paul Harvey adds, and church money. Vatican Bank scandals. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbols of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who want until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. Is this not the communist playbook? Dumb down everybody? No competition? Everybody's the same? Let's have mediocrity as the new normal? Nobody wins or loses. We just want to play the game equally. And what do you bet I could get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich? I would caution against extremes and hard work and patriotism and moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on the TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil... I just keep right on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey, as he famously would end, Good day. And we wonder why Pope Benedict in his last testament made the very clear claim that we are living in the time of the Antichrist. This little prophetic piece from Paul Harvey really tells you, ladies and gentlemen, look at your watch and be ready. Be ready for God is not going to allow it to continue indefinitely, and justice will be his. Now, let us get back to our book review, which is No Doubt Justice, coming to the church from Father William Casey. In this classic book, you shall stand firm preserving the faith in an age of apostasy. The chapter title, What Do You Know About Marriage? And let's pick up on this last paragraph that I read. It's... uh, He leaves no evil stones unturned. He says there is constant complaining, criticism, fault-finding, and nitpicking. You are never satisfied. Neither one will apologize, and then comes the dreaded cold shoulder. You don't talk to each other anymore. There is no more affection. Sex can then be used as a weapon, a tool that can be withheld and used as an instrument for manipulation and punishment. Pride kicks in, and pride is also a killer. It is a deadly poison in marriage. 
The devil counts on it and plays upon it. Spouses become rivals to each other, and then they become strangers to each other. The fire of spousal love begins to flicker out. Eventually it grows cold and emotional love dies. Charity is eventually lost, and you look back on all of it and wonder how in the world it could have happened. It does not have to be the big things that wreck your marriage. The little things will do it if you let them. I have heard it said that a pathological society produces pathological individuals. In other words, sick marriages produce dysfunctional families, which produce wounded souls. Wounded souls are vulnerable and at the mercy of many forms of temptations. Wounded souls suffer and fall away. They are in greater danger of being eternally lost. What does all this mean? It means very simply that any way you look at it, marriage is a matter of life and death. At some point in time, every one of us has got to stand and face the fact that we have a disastrous situation in regard to marriage and family life in this country. It began in earnest with the so-called sexual revolution of the 1960s when the divinely established link between marriage and human sexuality and human life was severed. Sex became all fun and games, and you can get all you can any way you can. It was the acceptance of the playboy mentality that led to the acceptance of the contraceptive mentality. We are still reaping what we sowed back then in the form of broken homes, broken marriages, broken hearts, and shattered lives. The mass media in Hollywood trivialized marriage day and night to the point where at least 80% of all sexual relationships depicted on television are outside of marriage. The results of a recent Gallup poll revealed that 70% of American adults approve of divorce. The divorce rate in this country is still hovering around 50% and close to 80% for the couples that live together before marriage. What is the leading cause of divorce? Adultery. The second leading cause? alcoholism and substance abuse. The third leading cause, fights over money. In the year 1964, there were 400 applications for declarations of nullity in the United States. Today, there are approximately 5,000 per year. What does the Bible tell us? The Bible says that at the heart of the crisis is pride, egoism, lust, impurity, selfishness, and godlessness. All too many a Christian home is a house divided by inflexibility, stubbornness, lack of love, lack of compassion, lack of kindness, lack of generosity, and no willingness to sacrifice for the good of the other. Each spouse thinks he or she knows better than the other. Both spouses are totally unconcerned with the rights and the welfare of the other or their children. Ultimately, what I believe is the single great destroyer of marriage is the lack of forgiveness. Not just the inability to say, I love you, but the inability to say, I'm sorry. It is rooted in a lack of humility. All this is precisely why marriage has got to be a sacrament. It imparts that special grace so that you can be faithful to your state in life, and you cannot make it without that grace. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The grace of the sacrament helps you to see that no matter how big your problems are, God always has the answer. God is always calling us back to the gospel of Jesus Christ who says, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Let's take a little break, and when we come back, I'll share a little reflection on a movie I just saw tonight. 
regarding the beauty of Father's words. This is WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. In honor of yesterday's great feast of our Lord's Sacred Heart, can we not simply give our heart to Jesus and keep it simple? The daughters of St. Paul say it best, Be it done to me. My mind is going to a movie that I was just watching this evening on Fatima. This is the probably the most recent movie on Fatima done in 2020. And like the movie Therese, the families depicted are most beautiful. The family that Jacinta and Sister Lucia and Francisco came from were loving parents showing many signs of affection, praying constantly, maybe not all hours of the day, but it was so much a part of the fabric of their married and family life. Praying together as a family does help to stay together, Father Payton told us long ago. And one of the scenes in this movie I found just spectacular and so so foreign to us in the times in which we live as sister lucia or lucy uh, in childhood her mother was very sick and they didn't know if she might be dying and so lucy ran out of the house and was looking for the blessed mother and was ready and willing to do reparation by praying the rosary on her knees and crawling round and round in a circle for apparently what looked like hours And I was thinking of a sermon by Father Chad Ripperger, the great exorcist of our time, very much on the internet. And he was talking about how to raise a man. And and in general, and this would apply to women as well, the cultivation of virtue, prudence, justice, fear of the Lord, piety, courage, is no doubt any kind of virtue will lead to an ability to sacrifice for the other and to do the hard stuff well, to embrace 
the difficult. And this is the opposite of our culture right now, especially amongst too many on the younger side. They haven't grown up and been taught and put into practice this cultivation of hardship as the path to virtue. I have a book by my side here. The title of it is called Dying to be happy. Think of that. Dying to self in order to be happy. Taking on, again, the cross in order to know the joy, the paschal mystery of our Catholic Christian faith. Holy Thursday to Sunday. This is exactly the path that has to be followed by having a disciplined life within the family, surrounded by prayer, regular meals at a set time for all the family, and loving parents. It's an easy solution when you think about it. We're not requiring PhDs here. We're just requiring human will to love. But if you're wrong and you are guilty and you know it, then you've got to say the three greatest words in the human language. I am sorry. And the whole world changes and you turn a chapter immediately. Rather than staying stuck in neutral or shifting into reverse called real dysfunction and the whole scenario that Father uh, Casey paints where nobody's talking to anybody. Oh, and speaking as somebody of Irish extraction, oh, are we, are we ever so notorious for this? As I asked a priest years ago, Father, have the Irish ever really said, I am sorry? <laughs> he said, he looked at me with a nice smile. He says, no, usually they say, God's mercy on me. Anything to avoid the three words. So be aware of these things. We can get beyond them, and it's called God's grace. No question. It is sufficient, but you got to turn to them, and you got to get beyond yourself and come to the table and reconcile. Let us go on. Sometimes healing in marriage is nothing more than having the humility to admit that you need help outside of yourself, and God is going to provide it. Take the time to pray together with your spouse, make the effort to find a spiritual director or a good Catholic counselor, and maybe a weekend retreat, marriage encounter. The motto of marriage encounter movement is love is a decision. It is not the warm, fuzzy feeling the world thinks it is. Love is in the will. It can be done. God never asks the impossible of anyone. So what is God telling us about marriage? He's telling us that with the single exception of your relationship with God and the salvation of your soul, nothing in your life can be as important as your marriage. Not your job, your career, your money, not your possessions, not your friends. After God, your first responsibility is to your spouse. For the sake of your family, and that is why the best thing a man can do for his kids is to love their mother. And the best thing a woman can do for her kids is to love their father. The best thing you can do is love your spouse and walk with God. Seventy years ago, Archbishop Fulton Sheen wrote a classic book called Three to Get Married. He used to say it takes three to get married, a man, a woman, and God to bless them, strengthen them, protect them, and hold them and their family together. A true marriage is from God. It is not from the state not from the church, and not from the spouses alone, but ultimately from God. That is why marriage is for life, till death do you part. God intended it to be permanent. For baptized Christians, marriage is a sacred covenant, not just a contract, an agreement, or arrangement that can be broken if things do not work out. Too many people enter into marriage with the idea they are going into it on a trial basis, as if the door is always open and if things do not go their way or something or somebody better comes along, then they can opt out. That selfish, non-committal mentality does not make for a valid consent to marriage. So in other words, ladies and gentlemen, if that other person walking down the aisle has any of that mindset, that marriage is null and void. That would be annulled in 2.3 seconds. So we've got to know what each other's attitude is 
about marriage itself. There are some people who have the idea that a happy, successful marriage is a valid marriage, and an unhappy, successful one is an invalid marriage. That's not so. Christian marriage, validly contracted and consummated by sexual union, can never be dissolved. Why must marriage be permanent? Because marriage is the divinely ordained channel through which God brings human life into the world. The matter involves the very creation of human life, and human life is made in the image and likeness of God, the Creator, and is therefore sacred. When God gives human life, He gives it forever. God directly creates the human soul and infuses that immortal soul into the human body at the time of conception, and He brings every human soul into the world with an eternal destiny. You do not need a PhD to understand this. Sacramental marriage is a permanent and exclusive union because the fruit of marital love, human life itself, is also permanent and must be morally, socially, and legally protected. The good of the spouses, the good of the children, the survival of the family, and the good of society demand that marriage be an unbreakable lifelong covenant, and that is why in any culture where there is rampant divorce and remarriage, the very fabric of society will begin to unravel, usually within two generations. And may it be said, therefore, for the ages, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, this is why virginity until marriage is the norm. The safest path to a peaceful marriage, and more especially, to heaven. Thus, premarital sex is a mortal sin, and let nobody ever tell you otherwise. So down with woke, because God spoke, long live marriage. As Ryan T. Anderson said in his recent book, Truth Exposed, if you have to explain marriage, it's like explaining why wheels are round. God wrote the blueprint. One man one woman. This is WQPH Radio 89.3 FM and blessings on all fathers tomorrow. I had a great dad near bigger than life because he was holy. Be the same onward. Blessings to all graduates as well. Put God first. Let your light shine. That is what it's all about here at WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. But we need to hear your story. You want your voice to be his voice. That is making the faith known to others. Please, my number is 877-625-3727. Tim Kilcoin, TalkCatholic.com. Say, Mother Teresa told us, your ministry is your work right where you are. Grab on to this microphone. God bless.